facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to September. It's September the 1st, 2023. It's a brand new month. It's a brand new episode of The Kale Clark Show. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. It's Friday. It's a Friday of a long weekend. You might be traveling on this late day weekend. You might be in the car. Uh, happy to be your companion on the journey. And you can once again phone in 888-914-9149. Thanks for taking the time to be with me on Relevant Radio. You can also email the program. Great place to send show ideas, um, questions, topics that you might think would be good to cover. And the address, the email address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can find me on the X app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And in fact, you can become a shadow producer of The Kale Clark Show by sending me an article. And one of those shadow producers is actually, he's, he's not really a shadow producer, he's, he's part of the team, Patrick Alog. He's an associate producer here on the show and uh, obviously is working the phones for us right now. So you can congratulate him on this. He sent me a really interesting piece about sage steel and that's why i titled this episode steel and the sword of saint michael how about that how about that because sage steel apparently is catholic i did not know that now who is sage steel she's a former espn anchor um who who recently uh settled a lawsuit with espn out of court Um, we'll tell you what that was all about in just a minute but she recently appeared on Megan Kelly's show, uh, talk about somebody who has uh, uh, left one of the legacy media companies for sure. Uh, Megan Kelly, formerly of Fox News. Uh, I'll talk more about her in just a second. But she recently appeared on Megan Kelly's program. Don't worry, Gemma, I won't throw to the audio yet um, to talk about what happened to her at ESPN and also an element of her Catholic faith again, which I didn't know. And I just love Sage Steele. Great. Great pro. I've always loved her as a sportscaster. Used to host NBA Countdown on ESPN and SportsCenter as well. And I've always just found her to be a great pro. And what, what a great name, too, Sage Steele. I mean, she sounds like a, a comic book character. But um, Megan Kelly now has a program on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. And she talked about her, her, her work experiences, what, what happened with, with her lawsuit with ESPN. She worked for ESPN for 16 and a half years years and she was quote unquote sidelined for controversial comments that she made back in 2021 on her day off uh she wasn't uh she wasn't on the clock at that point and she appeared on jay cutler's podcast you might remember jay cutler former nfl quarterback um one of the best arm talents of all time honestly played for the denver broncos and the chicago bears notably uh she appeared on jay cutler's podcast called uncut with jay cutler and she, she talked about a lot of different things on that particular show. And one of the things that she touched on was the vaccine mandate that ESPN uh, had instituted at that time. And she was essentially given an ultimatum, Sage Steele, take the vaccine or you're out. And so she was, uh, she did, in fact, t- take the vaccine uh, in the end. And she also wound up, wound up getting COVID later. And I think one of the things that we, we all know is that the efficacy is not exactly... Uh, a lifetime uh, protection by any stretch of the imagination only lasts for three months, and it doesn't prevent you from catching it or transmitting it. Having said that, we, I, I don't really want to adjudicate the va- vaccines on this program, but um, she was suspended 
in October of 2021 um, because of comments that she made essentially on this on this program. But was, what was interesting about this, and there, there's a piece uh, up on on this by on uh, the Church Pop website, and this was uh, the one that was sent to me by by Patrick Alog. That um, the fact of the matter is that she had a couple other pieces of opinion as well that she uh, that she put forth on Jay Cutler's show. But a lot of her ESPN colleagues, Jamel Hill, notably, who's also no longer with the organization, uh, Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith was probably. Well, I don't know if he still is the number one personality at ESPN because of the fact that Pat McAfee has now joined the fold, the Pat McAfee show, which is so popular on YouTube. Uh, his entire entourage is going to be on uh, ESPN very, very soon. They've sort of made a deal with Pat McAfee, and uh, I, I think McAfee is very entertaining, very good former NFL punter who's made quite a career for himself. And so he's coming under the ESPN umbrella, but... But still, I would say uh, by a nose, the, the lead personality on ESPN right now is Stephen A. Smith. It's a bit of a sidebar here. Um, and uh, Stephen A. Smith, interesting story. He, he was on the outs at the Worldwide Leader uh, for a long time. He, he was very successful with them for a time. Uh, actually wound up leaving the company in a dispute and was, he was on the outs. And he had to, he had to work his way back, back into the fold and worked his way to the very, very top of the heap on first take, which he, uh, uh, on which he proffers his opinions. Molly Karam, of course, uh, sort of <laughs> moderates that show and, uh, mad dog Russo is on the show now. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but anyways, having said that a lot of these other ESPN personalities were feeling quite free and open, uh, to share political opinions that they might have, uh, whether it's about the COVID vaccines, whether it was about the 2020 election, um, all kinds of different topics. Uh, Max Kellerman also made political comments on air. Last year, ESPN anchors L. Duncan, Carolyn Peck, Courtney Lyle asked, actually asked on air for a moment of silence in opposition to Governor Ron DeSantis' parental rights bill in Florida last year. I, it's hard to believe that these things kind of happened on air, but nonetheless, um, certain opinions were tolerated. And certain broadcasters were not punished for their views. Others, um, the network had a problem. Well, maybe just one other, Sage Steele. And in fact, Megan Kelly, when she was interviewing Sage Steele on her show just a few days ago, Megan said, quote, it's fine to speak out on dicey political or cultural issues at ESPN if you're not named Sage Steele. And Steele responded by saying, quote, there were different rules for me than everyone else. I was heartbroken again at the hypocrisy of the rules. Either the rules are a rule for everybody or nobody. But you can't pick and choose, especially if it's just one person. Here, here's a little clip from Megan Kelly's interview with Sage Steele, and she talked about a great spiritual resource that she used to cope with, with all this pressure. Check it out. It was the low point in my life, for sure. When I was suspended, I was attacked by the, everybody on the inter internet, all of them, not all, too many of my peers at work couldn't see my kids and um, thought that my whole life was over. And my parents came to Connecticut. They lived in Pennsylvania at the time. And my dad, with his cancer, did not need to be around someone who was sick. It was risky. Mm -hmm. And he did it. And my parents came and they lifted me off the ground. And they were here when I went back to work that day. And before I left the house, because I was shaking, um, 
my mom and dad pulled me aside and one of my best friends, Tiffany, who's my makeup artist and so much more than that, the best human I know. My dad's like, huddle up because he's a football player. Till the day he dies, he's a football player. Huddle up guys. And as I'm walking out the door, he's like, we're saying a prayer. And um, it was St. Michael the Archangel. And if you're Catholic, you know what that is. We say it at the end of mass. And it's basically mm-hmm. about protecting me from evil. From the devil. And as I walked, yeah. As, and look it up for those of you who haven't um, heard or said the prayer. It's pretty powerful. It is. Um, to protect you from bad and ugly. And I believe evil is a too much of a, a, a relevant word in our society right now. And so we said our prayer and we hugged and I went to work and I went on the air and he texted me in the first commercial break. He's like, that's my girl. You got this. And every single day from that moment on, which I believe was like October 18th, 2021, until the last day I went on air recently, I called my parents as I pulled in to ESPN and we said the prayer together every single day for almost two years. And so I knew that I would be okay. I did feel protected by God, by my mommy and my daddy. And at 50, I still needed my parents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and my friends and so many people that I continued to hear from, from around the world. And even people at work who would pull me aside and whisper in the bathroom or in a corner, making sure there were no microphones around and saying, thank you. Thank you for standing up and for saying what I can't say. Please don't go quiet. Don't go silent again. And so that's what pulled me through. Those people, my very small circle of friends who I now know are real friends, my family mm-hmm. and God. Uh, we pulled up the prayer. This is actually the second time I've read this prayer on the air because we had Father Mike on of the Bible mm-hmm. in a year. And I was telling him that we, we say it at my church in Connecticut and it, and it goes as follows. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Wow, that's that's Megan Kelly interviewing Sage Steele and uh, praying the St. Michael prayer on air. How about that? And so, yeah, I, apparently Megan Kelly's Catholic as well, something else I, I didn't know. And it's interesting to me, another sidebar here, that Megan Kelly, Tucker Carlson, they've been kind of pushed aside by, by legacy media companies like Fox, but man, they're doing even better now, I would say, on their own. Uh, think about Tucker Carlson's interview with former President Trump, the same night as the Republican, the, the first Republican uh, candidate, candidate's uh, debate just a few days ago. I, I checked Twitter, what's now called, of course, the, the X app, uh, before the show, and it's up to 264 million views that is unbelievable and on a good night on a on a good night cnn might have just a few hundred thousand uh viewers during prime time around four hundred thousand or so um that would be a good night probably so this i I don't know how much the how many people the debate drew on um broadcast television just a few days ago maybe patrick alog or crack researcher who's working the phones for us tonight triple eight 914-9149. 914-9149. Maybe you can find that info for me, Patrick. But no doubt that was dwarfed by by what Tucker had done with uh, with President Trump. And obviously a lot of it had to do with the guests, no no question about it. But it's pretty interesting, the uh, the, the sizable audience that guy still has. And Megyn Kelly as well, 
making a, making a dent now on her own. She, her program's on YouTube and also, of course, on SiriusXM radio. But yeah, Sage Steele, uh, she she um, went through a lot of persecution at the network. And my take on this is you can't have it both ways. If you're going to allow people to speak on, on politics and sensitive cultural issues on on a sports network like ESPN, fine. But you've got to have, let everybody have their, their say. And you say, well, that's kind of naive because obviously these these legacy media companies, in the case of ESPN, is owned by Disney. Uh, they may, may be seeking to promote a certain agenda or at least tolerating uh, certain views more than others. No, no question about it. But uh, it is clearly uh, unfair to allow one group to have their say and others of a different point of view to not be allowed. In fact, it, it got so bad that... Uh, uh, another ESPN employee, Ryan Clark, who used to play for the Steelers, uh, comments on the NFL, refused to be on air with Sage Steele. Uh, he didn't get in trouble. Uh, Halle Berry, the actress, was going to be interviewed by Steele, refused to do it after uh, all this uh, came out back in 2021. So she eventually contacted a lawyer named Brian Freeman, sued ESPN, and uh, that, that case has now been settled. Um, she... The illness she was speaking of in that clip, she did eventually get COVID. Um, that's the illness she was talking about where she couldn't see her kids and her dad who had cancer kind of risked his health by by coming to support her and, and pray with her. Um, interestingly enough, she she did mention this um, a couple times in the interview. And we'll put up a link to it in the show notes as well if you want to watch the whole thing. Um, she was, Steele really uh, took ESPN to task for remaining silent on transgender athletes dominating women's sports and she said a lot of female colleagues would would off air and in, you know personally in private uh say they were super concerned about this as well but refused to to put their opinion out on the air and uh she thought it was pure hypocrisy that uh, some of her colleagues would uh tearfully um you know, lament the erosion of of abortion access in the united states but yet be silent on this issue of biological men dominating women's sports so that's that's another issue uh for another day but i thought it was really interesting so sage if you're listening we'd love to have you on the program uh appreciate you and uh be interesting to see what what happens in her career uh going forward uh outside of espn what she's going to do if she wants to continue on broadcasting it'll be pretty interesting to see you're listening to the kale clark show on relevant radio if you have a question or comment you can call in right now if you're on the road Getting ready for the big holiday weekend, you can call this number toll-free, 888-914-9149. We're going to talk after the break a little bit about the afterlife. Plus, we've got the week that was an incredible story about five brothers who fought against the Nazis behind enemy lines. It's like a movie, except it was real life. We'll be back on The Kale Clark Show right after this. Faith, facts, and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Uh, it's only the first night of September, but we're going to start playing that song now. It is now the ninth month of the year. Can you imagine that? So I've been waiting all year for that. One of the best tunes ever from Earth, Wind, and fire. So glad that you're with me. Hopefully this show is straight fire so far. 888-914-9149 is the number to call toll-free to talk to me on the Kale Clark Show. So glad to have you along as we kick off 
the holiday Labor Day weekend together. And it's been a great week on the show. We've had some just amazing fun uh, together. And if you missed any of the episodes that we've had, you can always stream them. You can always share them. You can always binge listen to them over the weekend. Best way to do it is through the relevant radio app. You can stream it and tell friends about it. We really appreciate you doing that, spreading the good word. Want to seek to win the world for Christ through the media, using everything at our disposal. And producer Jim, producer Jim Shaper, has used everything at his disposal to bring you the week that was on The Kale Clark Show. Check it out. Is there anything wrong with wearing a lucky shirt or having something like that? A lucky garment. I talked about my, my lucky underwear. Maybe I ought not to have, but... Some people say that this is nothing superstitious at all, but some people say it is. I think it all depends on your intent. Uh, With a lot of these questions, your intent is going to really play into what what the answer is. Some of these aren't so cut and dry. If you're wearing a, a garment to help you feel good, you know, I feel my best, I feel like I look my best when I wear this, it just gives me confidence for whatever reason, that's not a big deal. But if you actually think that this object somehow will really bring you luck has some sort of magical properties that's not a good thing at all because it would describe some sort of power to that object that would be superstitious what happens if god doesn't seem to answer your prayers a lot of people ask me this question why isn't god answering my prayer i'm not so sure that he isn't (laughs) but uh, we might have a bit of a misunderstanding about this When Jesus says the Father will give us whatever we ask, don't forget, don't forget what what he actually says, his actual words in John chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So are you you asking it in the name of Jesus? Now, what what do we mean by that when we say we're, we're... praying in the name of Jesus. We can't say this is some sort of a magic phrase, a a password that's always going to open the door. When we we pray in the name of Jesus, our prayer has to be in line with His character, His thought, what He wants, His will for His glory. College football is starting this weekend. The NFL is starting the week after. Guess what? You're going to see a lot of bedsheet banners in the stands, you know, especially when they're kicking field goals. John 3.16 is always a favorite. People want you to look it up. Maybe the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What's interesting is everybody remembers John 3.16. It's a great verse, of course. What everyone forgets is what happens a couple verses later. Now, here's John 3.18, every bit as important as John 3.16. Here's John 3.18. He who believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Okay, so that, that's, that's pretty important as well. You, if you don't believe, there's a price to pay. A listener named Bonnie, who's in Illinois, she wanted you guys to hear this, that um, she buried her husband a year ago. I'm so sorry to hear that, Uh, Bonnie, may he rest in peace. And she says that she found, you know, just going through his belongings and everything, found a note that she had written to him 15 years ago. It was 15 years old. It was a note where she complimented him that he had saved. The note said, I'm so glad I married you. And... 
and that you're a good man. And they were married for 40 years at that point. I'm sorry, I'm getting kind of choked up with this. That's, that's what it's all about. It's so real. I'm so glad I married you. You're not some other bloke. You're a good man. And uh, man, that, that, is, that is incredibly powerful. Uh, it got a little dusty in here on that particular evening. Uh, thanks to producer Jim for setting up the week that was for you on the Kale Clark Show. Great job, Jim. And if you missed any of those episodes, you can listen to them in their entirety on the Relevant Radio app, relevantradio.com, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there as well, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And wow, yeah, that was, that was a powerful moment. And always powerful moments when we look at the gospel as well and the gospel reading for the Mass today, it's it's a really important one because it has to do with the afterlife. Um, it's a parable of the foolish virgins. And it comes to us from Matthew chapter 25. Jesus told his disciples this parable, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones, when taking their lamps, brought no oil with them, but the wise ones brought flasks of oil with their lamps. Since the bridegroom was long delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight there was a cry, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. The virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise ones replied, No, for there may not be enough for us and you. Go instead to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. While they went off to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready who were ready, went into the wedding feast with him. Then the door was locked. Afterwards, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he said in reply, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Uh, you're, that's from Luke chapter, or sorry, Matthew chapter 25. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. That, that's a great parable that Jesus told. And yeah, weddings were done a little bit differently in the Jewish first century world. And, and everybody who was listening to him that day had, had seen or been part of a wedding at least once in their lives. And it's, it's, it was a community event. And Here's how it kind of worked. There was a betrothal period for the Jews in which a woman is given in marriage, and often it was at a very young age, and this is what the situation was uh, for Our Lady. There's a betrothal period where you're engaged, but it wasn't like it is today in 21st century America. This was a, this is, it's like you're legally married when you're engaged, when you're betrothed, and you can't just walk away from it. And so... Parents, obviously, were really excited to see potential grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and who knows? Every, every Jewish young woman was hoping to be one day the mother of the Messiah, who they never expected to be divine. And that certainly was the case probably for Mary as well, and she got the honor. She absolutely got the honor, but it came about in a very, very supernatural way. So after the betrothal period, the young lady would continue living with her parents, and then after a few months, maybe even a year, the actual wedding ceremony, the wedding feast would take place, and there would be a transfer of, of the bride from her parents' home to the home of her spouse. And the whole community would come out for this. It would be a great celebration, and it would usually happen in the late afternoon, early evening. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. The light grows dim. You're going to need lamps. You're going to need oil for those lamps to burn. But obviously there was a, 
a case here where these foolish bridesmaids uh, did not get enough oil. Five of them were foolish. The other five were prudent. And this really is, in, in many ways, a parable about the cardinal virtue of prudence. And uh, Federico Suarez wrote a great book about the afterlife, and he, ta he talks about this parable. He says that really prudence is the cardinal virtue that inclines us to choose among all the possible means to, atta to attain an end, the means that would the more certainly and effectively allow us to obtain our desired goal. So that really, it's about choosing the best way to do it. Five of these bridesmaids, obviously, they knew it was expected, and they did their job. They, they planned ahead. The others kind of played it fast and loose. And they, they weren't really, maybe they're concerned about other things. And at the end of the day, they really had an attitude of selfishness where the, the prudent bridesmaids, they kept their focus on who they were trying to serve. And, and, and clearly, if we, if we look at this parable in an allegorical sense, obviously the, bride, the bridegroom is Jesus Christ. The wedding feast is the glories of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the afterlife. And this, this whole idea of the bridesmaids falling asleep, that could be a euphemism for the sleep of death. And of course, at some point, Christ is going to come again. Some of us might be alive and remain, as St. As Paul says in the New Testament. Uh, most of us will probably be in the grave, and, and there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a resurrection of the good, the bad, and the ugly, even those who will not take part in the kingdom of heaven, they're going to go to the other place. There's a resurrection for them as well before the final judgment. And so obviously the, the foolish bridesmaids wanted to kind of get some of the oil from those who were wise, from those who had prepared. It's a little bit like, uh, I don't know, when you're in high school, maybe uh, somebody wants to uh, borrow your homework or get the answers to the quiz from you. Um, can you write my essay for me? Maybe the, uh, the QB of the football team wants to, uh, Put his arm around you and say, hey, pal, man, can you do my essay for me? I don't know. But uh, obviously these are people who, who don't prepare, who don't look at the details. And this is what we have to do in the spiritual life. We've got to make sure that we, we keep our eye on the ball and do our job, carry it out. And so we, we've got to do this in, in, in the spiritual life. We've got to make sure um, that we prepare and that, that we've, we've got the oil and, and the lamps to burn. And, and this really has to do with our formation in the faith, I think. We've, we've got to pray. Um, we've got to make sure that we keep our formation up. That's why we have programs on Relevant Radio, like The Inner Life, Spiritual Direction. We've got The Faith Explained. Uh, we, we're doing a brand new series right now called Jesus 101. We're trying to form everybody in the facts about Jesus that we need to know in the face of a withering secular attack in many ways on our faith. If we don't keep up our prayer and our formation, we're eventually going to run out of fuel. We're eventually going to run out of gas. You can only exist on your spiritual reserves for a short amount of time, and then you're going to hit the wall. And so we've got to make sure that, that we do that and be attentive. And I don't know. I, I think that, as uh, Federico Suarez says, that modern people aren't really asking the question about why we're here, what's the service that we've been created for, Cardinal Newman says that we've all been created for a definite service, that, that God has something in mind for each one of us. And if we, if we take the time to, to pray and think about that, figure out what that, figure out what that might be, we can start working towards it and working towards our reward, just simply being with our Lord in heaven. And if we don't, if we don't focus on the end for which we've been created, 
we live among people, and, and sometimes we're like this too. We, we, we spend days, whole days can go by where we don't pay a second thought to our Creator and don't orient our work to Him, don't orient our, our lives to Him, our relationships to Him. That's um, a day that's, that's kind of wasted in some ways. And so people of today, we've got to kind of encourage them to ask that question. Why are we here? What, what is the meaning of life? Because there's a lot of dissatisfaction, clearly, in, in life today. There's a lot of angst. And a lot of the problems that we have in the culture, um, social issues, um, psychological issues, a, a, lot of it, a lot of it is due to physical imbalances and, and, and actual problems that, that need to be treated, sometimes with medication. But sometimes it's a spiritual problem. Sometimes it's much, much deeper. So we can tend to, to get involved in our own things and, and, and forget about the fact that we're really here to serve the Lord. And uh, this is, these are the terrifying words that, that none of us want to hear. Uh, when the foolish bridemaids try to get into the feast, the door has been locked. They're outside. They're in the street. They're in the dark. They hear the voice coming from inside. Amen. Amen. I say to you, I do not know you. And sometimes we'd rather just medicate ourselves and not think about the afterlife and not think about those words. But I think the second that we do, um, it'll be good for us. And um, hopefully we have some time over this holiday weekend to, to contemplate that, to contemplate the afterlife, contemplate eternity. And reading the parables of our Lord about the afterlife are, are a really good way to do just that. We're going to take a bit of an early break right now in our second segment on this Friday on the Kale Clark Show. But we will be right back. After this quick word, 888 This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Welcome back to The Kale Clark Show on this Friday, September the 1st. Theme song for Friday Night Lights. Great, great football TV show. Not just about football, it's just a great show in general, but it is football season. High school, college, back in action now. NFL starting next week. It's an exciting time of year. Want to welcome specifically uh, to the network here, Richmond, Richmond, Virginia. We talked about that song, that viral song, Richmond, North of Richmond. Well, want to welcome uh, those in Richmond, Virginia, 101.3 FM and also AM 990 on the dial. You can spread the word if you're listening to your family and friends in the Virginia area to listen in on Relevant Radio and our ever-expanding network. Well, I'll tell you what, I some of you guys might be catching a movie this weekend. Um, I remember a movie that, that came out in 2008, 2009. It was, it was called Defiance. I don't know if you remember this. It was starring Daniel Craig. It was kind of a real-life story about three brothers, Polish-Jewish brothers who kind of hung out in the woods in Belarus and, and fought the Nazis. Uh, it was almost like Robin Hood and his merry men, you know, hanging out in Sherwood Forest and uh, fighting against the king. And, um, and I'll tell you what, that, that movie has, is actually uh, based on a true story and very similar along those lines. I heard an incredible story. It was actually an obituary in the Globe and Mail uh, newspaper in Toronto. It was about a guy named Sidney Itzkowitz. And he fought, along with his four brothers, behind enemy lines in the woods of Belarus. Uh, exactly as what happened in that Daniel Craig film. 
Uh, he just passed away. The last living brother, uh, Sidney Itzkovitz, uh, passed away just a week ago on Friday in Montreal. And it's just an incredible story of an incredible life that sounds like a movie. Um, so he and his five brother and his four brothers, they, they were living in German-occupied Poland. And when the Nazis invaded, they invaded the death squads. They took part in a mass escape. Uh, they were actually holed up in a medieval castle at the time. It's, it's just amazing. And they were operating behind an enemy lines during the war, in the forests, in the marshes, in Belarus. Three of the brothers survived the war, and they eventually settled in Montreal, where they became successful entrepreneurs, business people. And the last of them passed away, like I said, just on Friday. Sidney Itzkovitz died at the age of 96. And on Sunday, his, uh, his funeral service took place, and his daughter, Selena, said uh, during her eulogy, she said, you were witness to such evil at such a young age, but you overcame it all and managed to build such an amazing and successful life. So let me, let me tell you the story. It's, it's fascinating. So Sidney Itzkovitz uh, and his brothers, uh, his brothers' names were Liebel, Zodek, Itzhak, and Haim. They were really part of a, a, a chapter of World War II that, that only recently has, has come to light. Jewish resistors who not only evaded the concentration camps and the genocide, but they actually joined guerrilla groups that, that fought in sort of in the woods, you know, behind enemy lines on the Eastern Front. And he actually had, uh, Sidney Itzkovitz uh, wrote a memoir about this called From Mir to Montreal. And apparently you can find it somewhere on a University of Oregon history website. And he was born actually in 1927, the fourth of the five boys. Their parents, Dovid and Mushke, they ran a butcher shop in the very small town of Mir, which is just uh, southwest of Minsk. And at that time, uh, Mir was almost 100% a Polish town. But the Red Army uh, came in when World War II started in 1939. And, and when the Soviets took over, they, they kind of took over all private businesses as well. So the Itzkovitz family, they switched to farming. But then, of course, Germany invaded in June of 1941. They invaded the Soviet Union, and they got to Mir. It only took them five days to get there. The Germans immediately executed all the Jewish leaders of the town, and they, they took other citizens in the town and said, you're going to work with us, and you're basically going to become a police force, and you're going to help us sniff out anybody else who is opposed to us. So... One of their neighbors told uh, the Germans that the Itzkowitz family had a horse, so they confiscated their family horse. They still owned a cow, and they said to one of their other neighbors, look, if you can keep this cow for us, because it's going to be taken away from us because we're Jewish, if you can hold on to it, you can have half the milk, save half for us, but please just, just hang on to it. And she said, yep, I will. Plus, if there's any trouble with the Germans, you can hide at my house. Okay, deal. Well, on November the 9th, 1941, the German police ordered all the, the Jews of the town to gather in the main square. And the Itzkowitz family, they, they knocked on the door of this woman who was holding their cow. They said they could, she said you could hide out here, but unfortunately she didn't answer the door. So Simka, uh, who changed his name later to Sydney, Simka, who was 14 at the time, and his brother Haim, who was 11, they actually went back to their house. They hid in the attic. And the German police eventually came in, searched the house, didn't find the two boys. But just as they were leaving, uh, Sidney could hear his father saying, okay, I'll go with you. 
And then the next thing they heard was gunshots and they heard their, their father's cries and groans and then nothing. So he was murdered. Their mother was also murdered. In fact, 2000 people were murdered that day. And, um, there were bodies just all over the streets of the town, 850 survivors. They didn't, they didn't kill every Jewish person in the town. 850 did still survive. They were rounded up and they were basically put in a makeshift ghetto that was set up in a castle an abandoned castle outside of town. But one day, Liebel, uh, the, el- the eldest brother, told his brother Simka something. He said, keep this in strict confidence. The police chief had an interpreter. He was, he was a Polish interpreter. He was working with the German police, but he was also Jewish. And he was, people didn't know that, but he was helping uh, the Jews in this castle ghetto, and he was kind of passing them information. And they were under strict confidence not to reveal his identity. Well, in the summer of 1942, this guy, his name was Oswald, he told them that he overheard that the Germans were going to massacre everybody that was living in the castle, in this castle ghetto, on August the 13th of 1942. So they made plans to try to make a getaway. On August the 9th, Simka tied a knapsack, packed it with food, put it on a rope, and he was lowering it from the castle, the second story, and the other prisoners were saying, don't do it. You're going to attract the Germans' attention. They're, we're all going to be killed. Um, so he was kind of stopped at the time. But on the next day, they all decided, no, we got to get out of here because they're going to kill us anyways. So this guy, Oswald, the interpreter, created a diversion. The police went out of the town into the woods on a wild goose chase. And everybody that was in the castle took off and tried to run away. So about 200 of them were able to escape they cut the iron bars in the castle windows, and they went into the woods, and these brothers and the Itzkovitz family, they took refuge at the farm of a family friend. They built a bunker in the forest. They stayed there all throughout the winter. They would get food from different farmers. In the spring, the Nazis came looking for them, and they hid in the marshes in, a, in, a, in kind of a swamp. And Sidney Itzkovitz said later on it was, he was exhausted. He remembered being wet and freezing cold. He was hiding there. And in May of 1943, they, they were able to get a hold of a rifle, and they kind of joined this armed resistance against the Nazis. Um, shortly afterwards, the oldest brother, Liebel, was killed, uh, fighting with um, another group that, that also hated the Jews. Uh, Simka, he was 16 years old by then, and he was able to find a bunch of bombs that were never detonated, and he turned them into working explosives and they used it to blow up railway way tracks and, and keep the Germans from advancing. And anyways, the Germans eventually found these guys in the woods and they, there was a, there was an offensive la- launched against them. And Simka uh, got separated from his group. They were running away. The Germans opened fire. He said the man next to him was hit and he said, please just shoot me. They're going to capture me. But Simka couldn't even do that. He, he, bullets were grazing his own legs. He just kept running and running and running. He w- wandered through the forest. He lived for a time just eating wild berries, drinking water from puddles, uh, passed a whole bunch of villages that had been burned by the Nazis. And in 1944, the Soviets eventually liberated the area. So everyone was free. Uh, Zodik and Itzhak actually enlisted in the Red Army uh, on their way to the, to the front a mine actually exploded, killing Itzhak, wounded the other brother, brother Zodek. And Simka saw all this and he said, you know, I was supposed to start military, military training myself, but he said, I decided 
that because two of our brothers had already been killed and other badly wounded, I, 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 I can't join the fight. I, I have to do something else so that our family isn't completely wiped out. So at first he tried to enroll in, the, in a trade school, but he eventually moved to Canada in 1949. He reunited with Haim, uh, another brother who had settled in Montreal. Zodek, who survived the war, uh, joined them uh, later on. And so they kind of anglicized their names. Simka took on the name Sidney. Haim spelled his name. He changed his name to Hyman. Zodek changed his name to Jack. And they opened a furniture store. And they ran a mattress company. Uh, and that Polish-Jewish uh, interpreter, Oswald, he actually survived the war as well. He actually converted to Catholicism and wound up moving to Israel and living in a monastery. And so they they built successful businesses in North America. And in his memoir, Mr. Itzkowitz said that the only reason he survived the war was providence, providence and luck, really. He never thought he was going to survive, but he never gave up fighting either. He was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 80. Uh, but while he was getting uh, chemotherapy, his daughter, Selena, who gave his eulogy, uh, she said that he used to say when he, was, when he was in chemotherapy treatments that he's been through worse things in his life, and he really, he really did mean it. His wife, uh, Sidney Itzkowitz, his wife of 68 years, Bella, uh, died last year. Uh, he has three children that he left behind, Miriam, Selena, and Sheldon, five grandchildren in one great-grandson. I just thought there was a really interesting obituary. Uh, very much reminded me of the, uh, the 2008 movie with Daniel Craig. He used to play James Bond. He's moved on to other things. I don't know who the new James Bond is going to be, uh, but that movie Defiance, that's a, that's a cool movie as well if you get a chance to, to check it out. All right, if you want to call in, this is a great time to do so. Got some phone lines open, 888 Nine one four nine as we kick off this holiday weekend. Uh, Patrick Alog has uh, done some fact checking for us. Uh, we were talking earlier in the program about Tucker Carlson's interview with former President Donald Trump, and it has two hundred sixty-four million views on the X app, Twitter. But according to Patrick, the video was only played fourteen point eight million times. Um, so maybe, you know, people are obviously checking in for just a few seconds at a time. They're not necessarily watching the whole thing, but that's still, that's still a pretty great audience though, I would say. And I did ask the question, the GOP debate on, uh, traditional broadcast networks, how did it fare in terms of the ratings, uh, on Fox, the GOP debate had 12.8 million viewers. So it's kind of actually comparable, I guess you could say, if, if the video of, uh, Trump's interview with Carl, uh, Tucker Carlson was only played 14.8 it's not too far behind so people are still watching tv and they're still listening to radio as well and we have found in our research here at relevant radio you might ask why is relevant radio continuing to expand continuing to buy towers all over the united states well number one we don't want to be canceled um, because when you're on other people's platforms that's one thing that we've we found out over the last few years and we talked about sage steel earlier in the program it's easy to get canceled and the message of the gospel is not exactly uh, received as good news by everyone. So it's important for us to have our own network. And the other thing, too, is that it was really surprising. Uh, uh, we've been shown uh, stats from executives at Relevant Radio that radio is very, very popular, even among young people, and even among the, the coveted 18 to 35 market that every advertiser wants to get into. And, and people are still listening to radio in their cars. Um, 
really big news that we talked about um, some months ago on Relevant Radio. Father Rocky was really happy to hear this, that um, government regulations are, are forcing even electric car makers to have uh, radio receivers in their vehicles so that, um, and this is good for a lot of reasons, emergency broadcast, should should any uh, infrastructure ever go down, radio is going to be the place to be uh, when it comes to all of that. And we're glad to be here with you on Relevant Radio. All right, so Patrick, speaking of Patrick Alog, I think that's a good idea, Producer Jim. Patrick Alog, why don't you come on in here, going to come into the studio here, and we're going to talk a little bit about the rider cup um faith facts and fun this is a fun segment um very controversial the Ryder cup picks that were made uh now some people have obviously played their way onto the team and this of course is the great competition between the united states and europe in golf it's happening also this month here in september I want to welcome patrick into the studio patrick uh who recently maybe you should have been picked for the team because you recently nailed a hole in one the first in your first time you ever did that uh, a couple months ago we celebrated that uh, here on Relevant Radio, so uh, yeah, that was luck. Somehow did that, not that, get the that, call. That, that from... was luck. <laughs> hey, if they need one for Zach Johnson, I, I don't want to brag too much about my golf prowess because I'm not that good at all. But if they need someone on a par three, yeah, maybe. Not a par four though. You're the guy. You're I can't. Guy I, I can't drive it more than 210 yards. So okay, well that 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 might be a hindrance. That, that's for sure. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, the guys who 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 did make the team, a lot of them can really bomb it. And let's talk about the guys who automatically qualified for the u s Ryder Cup squad, starting with Scotty Scheffler. for my money, he's the best player in the world right now. And who else is on the team that made it automatically Patrick? U- u s Open champion Wyndham Clark, the open champion uh, Brian yeah, Harmon, no which relation. is uh, excuse me. Oh, for oh, Wyndham Clark. Said when no you said, oh, Wyndham okay, Clark, got it. Yeah. Well, and plus yeah. he doesn't he spells he, it differently. Yeah, he's he doesn't Clark have the E. He doesn't have an E. So, uh, right. yeah, <laughs> you had uh, British Open or Open champion Brian Harmon, who's a lefty, by the way. Go lefties. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Max Homa, a SoCal native, lefty, and also uh, you had Xander Shoffley okay. yep. as well. Those are the automatic picks. Yeah. Yeah, and the big controversy was, you know, who are going to be the six captains' picks, and that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure because if, if the U.S. fails to, to to win the Ryder Cup, I mean, he's always going to be second guess. But Zach Johnson was the captain, former Open champion himself, actually. And uh, who who who? Did, let's talk about who he did pick, and then we'll talk about maybe who he should have picked. And actually, I forgot to uh, mention also Patrick Cantley um, was also an automatic pick. Patrick as well. Cantley, yes. Now, the okay. captain's picks were Brooks Kepka from the Live Golf Tour. He made it through. Also, Colin, yeah. Colin Morikawa. You had yeah. uh, Ricky Fowler, who's had a li- couple down years, maybe the last three or four years, mm-hmm. but had a really good year this year and got a captain's pick. And also, probably the, uh, also just, uh, Jordan Spieth, who also was a captain's pick. And probably yep, the Jordan two... Spieth. Probably the two more controversial picks, I'm putting that in quote marks controversial, uh, is Justin Thomas, who's not had a good year this year, uh, yeah. but then he probably got it's picked. a terrible year. But he probably got picked based on reputation. And Sam Burns, who has had sort of a good year. Sam he Burns. won the match play, yep. but I think winning the match play probably was the reason why he got in. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great point, Patrick, because obviously the Ryder Cup is, is match play format. Um, yeah, it, it, let's talk about the controversial picks. I, I most of the picks I, I agreed with, and, and you can you can you can check the receipts on this. I did tweet out. 
uh, before the picks were made, some days before the picks were made, who I thought should have been on the team. I who, did think. Who did he say? I, and I said, I don't think he deserves it. Well, I thought, I thought, I, 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 everybody, I had every pick right except for I did not have Sam Burns on the team. I thought they were going to pick Lucas Glover. Ah. Because uh, Glover was just on fire. Um, yeah. Won two tournaments in a row. Yeah. Uh, I mean, FedEx Cup event. But if he were to win one that. more tournament, there, there was like two tournaments left. If he would win one more tournament, maybe, maybe, that's you know. Yeah. So he probably had to yeah. win one yeah. more tournament, or maybe even finish second place to have a shot. Yeah, and I, I did think JT was going to be picked, Justin Thomas, because and the reason why I thought he was going to be on the team was because he pairs so well with Spieth. They mm -hmm. made such a, a great team in the past at the Ryder Cup, and they have such great chemistry. That I thought that he might might be picked just on, on the strength of, of his reputation and and uh, you know a, a lot of it is personalities how they mesh together. You might remember a few years back when uh, I forget who tried to do this, which captain tried to do this, play tried to put Tiger and Phil together as partners. Hal Sutton in two thousand four in Michigan. Um, who was it? Was Hal Sutton? It was Hal Sutton. Yeah, and it was just a disaster. I mean, they, they Phil and Tiger really did not kill. It was just. A bad idea to put the two best players on the team together as a pair, but I, I really I mean, a lot of people are saying Keegan Bradley got stiffed here that that he deserved it more than he's been on he was on the 2012 Ryder Cup team that he deserved it more than yeah JT, he's been he's been waiting another more than JT, he's JT. been waiting another ten years to get to get back into the Ryder Cup but unfortunately not for him this year. He's complaining about the old boys network and it's who you know and 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 he, you know. But but I, I'm not surprised that the JT was picked. But uh, now they've got to go make it happen. And uh, well, Kale, it's going to be tough. We have about a, less than a minute left. As a Canadian, who are you going for? Team USA or Team Europe? I'm going for Team USA, all the way, hundred percent. All right, 100%. good yeah, choice. President's Cup. You know, sometimes a few Canadians will get on that team. But hey, uh, well, t Patrick, I'll, I'll tell you, man, it's going to be it's going to be fun. Uh, Guys, maybe you can get out to play some golf this week on this holiday weekend. But thanks for spending some time with us on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Jim Shaper produced. Awesome job with the week that was. Patrick Kale, I took your phone calls. And we'll be back next week. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.